The American Recovery and Reinvestment Act ensured that all healthcare providers are using electronic medical record systems. Unfortunately, huge flaws emerged immediately that have impaired clinical operations and revenue cycles. The quality of data flowing into the EMRs is seriously poor. The EMRs don't talk to each other, and when they do, record matching fails regularly. The Velocity Interoperability Podcast will take you to the intersection of interoperability, data quality, and medical record remediation, and bring you the innovators that address these flaws. So sit back and enjoy as we tell the story of another health IT innovator. Welcome to the Velocity Interoperability Podcast brought to us by the Gurus at Velocity. I'm your host, Joe Lavelle, and I'm really looking forward to another thought-provoking discussion where you further investigate data quality, interoperability, and medical record remediation. We're going to get right to it today. Today, we're joined by Lorraine Fernandes, Principal of Fernandes Healthcare Insights. Lorraine, welcome back to the show. Well, thank you, Joe. I appreciate the invitation. Could you take the next couple of minutes, Lorraine, and just remind the audience about you and your background? Happy to do that. So I'm Lorraine Fernandes, principal and founder of Fernandes Healthcare Insights. I've spent my entire health information career as a practitioner, in a sales and marketing role, and in an industry leadership role, and a lot of years in international as well as domestic, really helping clients and my colleagues out there understand the importance of data and how it's used and how it is so mission critical today compared to the beginning of my career almost 40 years ago. We asked Lorraine to join us today because many healthcare finance executives are preparing to attend HFMA's ANI conference in Orlando starting on June 25th, and we wanted Lorraine to help us frame some of the key issues for those healthcare finance executives that will be departing shortly. Lorraine, we've talked quite a bit about patient engagement on our show, but most of the conversations have been around clinical engagement. How do you see the increased level of consumerism impacting patients and their families? I believe that the consumer, consumerism, patient-oriented, whatever you want to apply for terms there, is equally important to the data quality and all of the other considerations we're putting out there. I happen to live in the state of California where consumers have had access to their health information for decades. In other states in our nation, in other countries around the world, consumers are just getting access to their data. So the consumerism angle to all of these various methodologies that might be coming forward is really important because we need to think about consumers are going to have access to their data, many of them for the first time. So we need to make sure that the organizations that are creating this clinical and financial data really have data that's fit for purpose in a very different context, fit for purpose for the consumer. Does the data really reflect the care? Does the data become available on a real-time or near real-time basis? And as you and I have talked about before, Joe, Does the data, in fact, reflect the correct patient across all of the records 
about that patient or that consumer. So all of these new priorities that an organization has really mean the emphasis on accurate, timely, consistent clinical and financial data becomes even more important than it has been because we no longer have data in silos. There are a lot of different parties who will be using this data for a variety of purposes. So it is really important that you stay on top of your data for today and for tomorrow. Lorraine, the industry's been talking about value-based care, and I believe there are several places in the country where they're actually making progress, yet there are many more that are not. And in those cases, in those places, providers are, I believe, doing absolutely nothing. How should providers and ACOs prepare for value-based care, especially with respect to patient engagement? It scares me a lot, Joe, I have to say, to hear you say, but I know it's the truth, that there are organizations that are doing little or nothing to prepare for value-based care. And I think they've got to address and assess and apply governance to today's data based upon their corporate culture, their corporate strategy. Today's data is driving tomorrow's reimbursement. And when you think about the fact that today's data is being used in developing the models, in applying predictive analytics, and all the other governance and quality and statistics that are being applied to this data, it means you can't afford to do nothing today or you may have shuttered doors a year or two from now. So take action today, lest you be sorry tomorrow. Lorraine, are you hearing any good examples of efforts by providers to increase patient financial engagement? And if so, could you share a couple? I have to say I'm not hearing a whole lot. I do hear of more portals being used out there from both a provider perspective, getting the providers to look at their data to engage in the value-based payment systems that are coming. I see more patient portals giving patients access to their own data on a timely basis to do scheduling, to review data, but I don't see the level of intensity that I might have anticipated, but knowing that many organizations are holding back, waiting to see what's really going to happen, which I believe is the wrong strategy, probably explains why we're not seeing as much activity in the marketplace as you and I might have anticipated. But it's coming. I absolutely believe it's coming. The alphabet soup of MU and ICD-10 has turned to MACRA and MIPS and we got all this legislation. What should providers be doing to react to the current legislation, MACRA and MIPS? I think more broadly than MACRA and MIPS, because as we've mentioned, we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring for some of these models, but we are going to have value-based reimbursement in some form. We are going to have a more patient-centered, consumer-centered healthcare delivery system out there. So I say make sure your data is fit for purpose in terms of quality and interoperability and meeting standards because standards aren't going to change that much. 
they're simply going to be strengthened and be, I think, a lot more dominant in driving data interoperability than what they are today. So I don't think you can ever go wrong with making sure you're following standards, you're auditing your quality of data to make sure it is standards compliant. You're making sure your data truly is fit for that consumer purpose, that value-based reimbursement, that predictive analytics, data exchange, and data interoperability. So I think to be a little more specific, Joe, I'd say make sure you've got your house in order. We talk about data governance and information governance, but I think it's easier for an organization to start with data governance. It's not quite as big a cultural shift to make. You can get a lot more buy-in from organizations. So think about data quality. Think about your retention policies. Think about how you manage the life cycle of your data and other things like that that are components of a data governance strategy and then the execution. Well, you did it, Lorraine. You mentioned that word interoperability, and so I have to get on the soapbox for a little bit. Last week, I moved my mother from Melbourne, Florida, to Fairhope, Alabama, where I live. And in Melbourne, for the last five years, we paid a registered nurse to go to medical visits with my mother to make sure that because she goes to so many different specialists and has so many chronic problems, that care is coordinated. Well, when we moved here, I scheduled her first appointment on Monday for a new primary care doctor. And that nurse, who we love and has done a great job, provided all of my mom's medical records to the new doctor, who's fabulous. However, this is a bad part of the interoperability story. Out of all the records that were forwarded, what got inputted into his medical record system, of which he carried a laptop into his room, and throughout the visit he was interacting with the medical record system, was four pages that were copies of her insurance cards and her driver's license pictures and payment information. There was no clinical information in the electronic medical record, which just drives me nuts because we're out here, you and I are out here battling the battle, talking about interoperability every day. And the reality is we're probably years away from having a generation. It's probably not even you or my generation that when we move from one place to another, our data is going to transfer seamlessly into a new medical record system. That just drives me nuts. I hate to get on my soapbox, but what's your reaction to that reality of where we are today? I think my reaction, Joe, is your story, and sadly, it probably is repeated millions of times every year around the states, is that that right there shows you the need for interoperability, the need for data governance, and many organizations are reluctant to either input the CCD or the CCR document or whatever else may come with the patient from another organization because they don't have adequate retention policies. They don't understand how to manage the life cycle of data, particularly when it comes from a third party. And some mistakenly believe that by incorporating data from another provider into their EMR, they assume some liability for that. So all of that privacy, security, life cycle, data quality standards 
could be comprehensively addressed in a strong data governance, information governance approach that an organization really needs to take today since the silos of data have got to go, and let's hope, Joe, they're gone in our lifetime. And you know what? My mother had no idea what was going on behind the scenes with all that data. She was oblivious to it. But I can tell you 10 years from now, when that's me, I'm going to be irate that that's that, right, that's because you and I are the educated consumers here. Exactly. Who are going to demand more. We're going to demand it in real time. We're going to read that data, ensure that it's our data, and it really reflects the care that we're given, and that our providers, whether it's the primary care physician, the nurse coordinator, the social worker, the physical therapist, that they're taking advantage of that data so that we have cost-effective, timely, comprehensive care. I'm waiting, Joe, just like you. <laughs> Me too, with bated breath. Lorraine, what are some of the other key issues that are top of mind right now for healthcare finance executives? I think the other thing beyond the consumerism and, and all of the aspects of that is when you think about new payment models and a lot more patient engagement, it's the provider side of the house, the actual caregiver, the nurse, the social worker, the physical therapist, the pharmacist, the nurse practitioner, is making sure that our data that reflects the care that's being given, that that is attributable to the right caregiver. So let's make sure we're not only managing the clinical data from the care delivery, patient engagement, consumer engagement, but let's make sure that we've got that data associated with the right provider at the right location for the right date, obviously. But it's that provider side of the equation because not only is the value-based care going to impact, obviously, all of the professionals who deliver care, it's the organizations also. So there's going to be two sides to this equation and a lot of risk that's going to be shared and a lot of people's compensation. So let's make sure we're taking care of the data all around the provider as well as the clinical data that documents the care that was delivered. You mentioned our previous conversation about the challenges of patient matching and identification, and yet providers are still slow to adopt any solution here, and they're still dragging their feet from my perspective. Why do you believe providers are not being more aggressive to pursue these kind of solutions? I think it's, Joe, they have so much on their plate. And it, we obviously live in a period here in the middle of the decade and the specific year that we're in that where do I start? And data quality might seem a bit overwhelming. So I think it's just so much facing them, the very thin margins that providers work on, the one, two, three, I mean, once in a while we read about somebody who functions on a 6 or a 7% margin, but that's clearly not the norm. So it's how do I spend my margin to deliver better care today and to prepare for tomorrow? And I think they do have to spend today because of those thin margins. If you get it wrong next year or the year after, those margins will be non-existent. 
and then what are you going to do? Because you've not created the high data quality, the interoperability of data to support the future payment models and the consumer engagement. Right. Some people have told me it's a shiny object syndrome, so getting clean data isn't the shiny object. It's doing the analytics. Well, you've articulated very well in this conversation. You've got to have data governance before you can do analytics well. Your analytics will be wrong if you have bad data. It's just that simple. It is. We read every day, I'm sure, about artificial intelligence being applied to data and the effective way that is in identifying insight, natural language processing, cognitive being applied, and the list goes on and on. But it's kind of scary to think of all the new technology that can be applied to data but if we're applying this to lousy data, well, what does that say about the insight we're supposed to be deriving from this data? Pretty scary. It is scary. Lorraine, we talked a little bit about the ANI conference. I know you attend conferences throughout the year. What advice do you have for attendees of a conference like ANI in order to get their maximum impact? I always go to a conference with a very short shopping list of three or four presentations I want to attend, or three or four vendors I want to make sure I talk with. And I'm always in listening mode. I go with one or two questions in mind, and then I go to learn. And even if I'm talking with the vendors, I want to hear what they're saying, what their customers are saying. Then I want to hear the speakers that come from organizations that have either been successful or perhaps maybe even more importantly, who have tried and failed because we're all going to have to try and fail more than once, chances are, in this process, but let's apply the learnings from others so that we can try and fail quickly and move on to success. Lorraine, it was so great to chat with you once again. Thanks for stopping by and sharing your wisdom with us. Happy to join you, Joe. All right, it's our pleasure. Before we wrap this conversation, we want to thank the great folks at Velocity for sponsoring the show once again. Please go to www.velocityhealthinformatics.com to find out more about the innovative ways they are solving the data quality and interoperability needs of their clients. And now, on behalf of our guest, Lorraine Fernandes, I'm Joe Lavelle, and we'll see you soon with another informative episode of the Velocity Interoperability Podcast. See you then. The innovators at Velocity Health Informatics are focused on ensuring that your healthcare providers will access the correct patient record containing the right data every time. Guess what? This is not a given. Five to 10% of all medical records have duplicates and an even greater percentage have incorrect information. Don't we owe it to our patients to make sure that clinical errors are not made due to poor data quality and the lack of interoperability between their providers' EMRs? Velocity is the only innovator that can bring you health information as a service, which includes data quality, medical record remediation, and data integration as a service. And clients are raving about the results. Learn more now by going to www.velocityhealthinformatics.com.